0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. In the 18th century, Catherine the Great enticed German farmers to settle in Russia. The German communities remained distinct from the Russians linguistically and culturally. And now Julie Mangano, descended from such German settlers in Russia, has written a novel. Her modern-day protagonist, Linden, of the new novel, Bracha, Um, The contemporary side of the novel revolves around Lyndon trying to uncover the truth behind the death of her beloved grandfather, Franklin, who's a wealthy rancher in rural Somerville, California. The second story comes from the memoirs of Lyndon's great-great-grandmother, Lena, an ethnic German living and born in Russia who fled in the last days of the Tsars. Both tales speak of lost loves and truths dangerous and hidden. Each narrative unfolds. Lena and Franklin's connection becomes clearer, merging in the end to a single, multi-generational tale of an international intrigue. That's the description of Braha from Forward Reviews. We're going to talk with Julie Magano about Germans living in Russia, about genealogy, connecting to your heritage, and the effects of our ancestor's decisions on our lives today. Julie Mangano, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
0: Uh, so you, uh, I think, uh, grew up in California. Now living in Texas,
1: that is correct.
0: And you had a you had a career in publishing.
1: I did before. It was um, not novel publishing, but um, technical writing and publishing, um, manuals, things like that. Some
0: so, how's what, what's it like to be on the kind of the other side now? You're as the author.
1: It's a lot more interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot more creative license, <laughs> yeah, when you're writing a novel than when you're doing something technical. So I am enjoying it very much.
0: Now you've done something very interesting in the in the novel. This is uh, a lot of the the facts, the details are historical, right? Because you're you're descended from these these Germans in in Russia, and I think you got uh, this, this interest. Uh, I think your grandfather was he was very interested in preser- preserving this heritage.
1: That is correct. He um, spoke around the country to groups of German people, um, especially those who had come from Russia, helping them to remember and pr- preserve their heritage. Mm. So
0: this is interesting history. I'd, I'd known, you know, just maybe, you know, uh, little factoids about this, this phenomenon. Uh, so I wonder if you'd tell me a about, bit about this. So I think it's the 1760s, Catherine the Great has this, this uh, tract of land, this, this area, sort of inhospitable, and she thinks she can uh, entice these German farmers to come and settle this land.
1: That is correct. She um, was having a difficult time with um, roving bands of, um, I think they were the Coss- Cossacks, um, taking over land you know, that belonged to Russians or so they thought. And she thought these Germans are hardworking people. They were um, dedicated and and willing to, you know, if they were willing to move there, she was willing to give them a lot of concessions in order to help settle that land, make it more stable and a viable part of the Russian Empire.
0: And, the, you know, I think a fact we forget um, is that Catherine herself was German.
1: Exactly. She was German. She um, I don't know that she liked to remember that.
2: Yeah. She was yeah, very uh,
1: proud to be a Russian, you know, tsarina or um, leader. But um, yes, she was German.
0: And so uh, because of that fact the Germans felt well we can trust
1: her. I believe, right? Exactly. They felt that a fellow German would not leave them leave them astray or, you know, would not follow through with their promises. And in fact, I think she intended to follow through with you know most of her promises.
0: Mm-hmm. What were what were the promises she she made them? I think one was they were exempt from uh, military service that so they could be. That
1: is correct. Set. Which was huge because yeah. they were coming off uh, a number of different wars that had devastated Germany, and the the Germans there just did not want to fight anymore. They were very religious, and killing people was. Um, You know, went against all of that. Um, She also gave them tracts of land. She gave them horses, cows, chickens, uh, farming equipment, um, money to build um, structures for homes and barns. It it was very attractive, very, very attractive if you were a poor Russian trying to find a job after the wars. during that time, the 1700s, mid-1700s.
0: It's very poignant to to re- realize that uh, another option was America, but uh, that involved m- a lot more money than, than most of these people could, could come up with.
1: Exactly. They, most of them did not have the money. Um, I, I would imagine if they had the money, they might have chosen America. Mm-hmm. But uh, Russia was not as far away, and uh, Catherine was offering free transport. Uh, to Russia, so literally they just needed to pack up their families, and they would be taken care of, as opposed to, you know, purchasing their fares and getting to a port city, um, which would require a lot of time and money, in addition to the the passage over, and then, you know, uh, sustaining their family until they, you know, found jobs and you know became a viable part of the American uh, lifestyle, I guess
0: so what did the, these settlers encounter when they when they got to the new home
1: the first group of settlers arrived in about 1765 and it was very very difficult um, the Cossacks were um, constantly raiding their settlements and many of the original settlers were killed there was another wave of settlers that came about three years later and um, most of them started up in new places, new little towns. And that second wave was finally able to um, dig in and make their, their little towns um, substantial, substantial enough to um, prevent anyone from taking them over, mm-hmm. taking them out.
0: So Catherine the Great got what she wanted. She she wanted a foothold here with you know people. That, that is
1: exactly what she wanted. With. Yeah, she she was very happy. Uh, the the Germans not so happy mm-hmm. because it was a difficult lifestyle. They went from um, lush you know fertile land to very inhospitable land that required. Um, You know, it was like going to the California desert or something in the early days before there was water and, you know, other things that were easily used to help grow their plants and, you know, take care of their animals. It was a rough, rough time. And and a lot of them decided to go back home. They they couldn't Mm. do it. But um, many were forced, because of the contract that they signed with Catherine, they were forced to stay. Until they could, you know, buy their way out of it, and pay off whatever you know debt remained. I think in exchange for giving them all those things, they had to stay there for a certain number of years. Hmm. So, um,
0: now I was interested to read that the Germans were very determined, apparently, to maintain their German identity, the language, uh, you know, live
1: absolutely. somewhat
0: apart, not absolutely. not intermarry.
1: They they did not intermarry. That was considered very, very forbidden. Um, They stayed strictly among their own for generations and generations. I'm sure that that loosened up as time went on, but um, for the most part there was no intermixing with the, the Russians or their culture. They maintained a very separate lifestyle.
0: Why was that? Do you think they they wanted to stay German? I guess even though they're they've moved.
1: Um, I'm not sure. I think they were suspicious at first. They were very very intent on preserving their culture and their religion and um, their ways. And I think that they saw the Russian culture in general as being too different for them. You know they, and of course, after you know a generation or two. Germans became bitter, or these Germans became bitter, because they realized it was not the wonderful life that she had promised them. I mean, you know, she had given them things, but it was a very, very hard life, much harder than they would have had staying in Germany and waiting for a job to turn up for them. Yeah. So um, I think that they, a lot of them held this idea that they would go back to Germany one day, mm-hmm. and that it was not a permanent relocation
0: it's interesting if you juxtapose these settlers with Catherine herself, who was German, but yeah. she she embraced the Russian culture and you know, as you said, embraced being Tsarina of Russia and been thought of herself. So very well, I think, Russian.
1: I think that's because she was wealthy. Yeah,
0: yeah I guess she was, so. You know,
1: at the other end of the spectrum, she mm-hmm. lived a great life. So
0: yeah, so uh, so the the I mean, the, the, it's interesting history. Up to this point, it gets even more interesting and, and even more hardships. Uh, so you, you know, you fast forward to um, it, into a World War II era, exactly. And and then you encounter um, Stalin. Stalin's very suspicious of these people, I think.
1: Yes, he was, and in fact, he eventually drove them from their their villages. Um, it, it was a very difficult time. My my mom's family lost several relatives. Um, you know, if you were not strong enough to um, to stand the walk to the train stations that were quite a ways away, you know, if you were a laggard, they they shot you or, you know, pushed, pushed you aside and let you just die on the side of the road while everybody marched on. Uh, most of those German settlers were taken out of their villages and resettled into Siberia, um, you know, within, well before the war, right around the time of the war. So,
0: hmm. uh, so your family, I think, uh, immigrated at what, early 1900s to America?
1: Early 1900s, about 1910, 1912, yeah. right around there.
0: So I guess some, some of these people would, would immigrate to, to America, I guess, to get out of the situation.
1: Well, if they were lucky, mm-hmm. they immigrated to America before most of them immigrated before uh, the start of World War One, after World War One, I, I think it was a little more difficult. Although there still was some immigration, but you know, by World War Two, if you weren't out, you were stuck. Hmm.
0: Now, I'd like to, to to bring it back to to you and, and your grandfather. Your grandfather apparently uh, very interested in, in learning about this heritage, right? To telling about it, preserving it.
1: But he, yes, my he wanted to preserve it. He did not want. His family and his descendants and the descendants of the German people from Russia, he didn't want them to ever forget what they came from. Hmm.
3: It,
0: was, he, was he proud of what they overcame? What was his
1: um, feeling? I think he was proud, but he was he was more proud of the fact that they survived, hmm. that they were survivors for those 200 years, 150 to 200 years that they were there. Um hmm. And he didn't want people to forget um, that they were Germans. You know, there was a German component, too. He did not know a lot about his German ancestry. Um, I have learned more about it probably than he ever knew uh, through my research and my genealogy research. But um, he told us that he believed his family came from the Black Forest region of Germany, which was now part of Poland. So it, it kind of gave us a, an area to start when we were trying to track down where our family came from.
0: What, what What's your grandfather's name?
1: My grandfather, my German grandfather, was Alex Kaiser.
0: Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and so you inherited this, I guess, interest? Did you, you, you want to find out about this?
1: <laughs> I've known about it. Ever since I was a child, it was talked about all the time in the family, all the time. Um, and my other grandfather got me interested at a very young age in working on a family tree. So it was interesting how both sides of my family got me interested in my heritage and being proud of where I came from and what those people did to help me get here where I am in America today.
0: By the way, we talked a lot about the you know your Germans in Russia, that side of your family or where's the other side of your family come from?
1: The other side is um, mainly uh, Europe, Switzerland, England, Ireland. I had my DNA done recently, and that totally messed up in my mind where I thought I came <laughs> from, where they came from because. You know, um, evidently there was a lot of wandering around, let's put it that way.
0: Interesting. Uh, Tell me how that, I was going to ask you about that. How does that work? I've, I've thought about doing that. I haven't, haven't done it. So you, you provide a sample of your DNA?
1: You provide a sample of your DNA and, um, I did mine through Ancestry and they, they do their little magic with it. I'm not sure what it is, but it's very scientific. And a few weeks later, they send you, um, a link to where you can see a report of that DNA and where you came from. And, you know, I grew up thinking I'm half German, literally, I'm half German and the rest is, you know, English and French and something like that. But it turns out I'm I'm mainly Irish with um, some Northern European mixed in there and uh, – a bunch of stuff I never knew of. It was fascinating. Yeah. Interesting.
0: So, so so then how does the it, how does the, you know, you get a report, I guess, this it, it's in general terms, right? Your DNA can't pinpoint your exact relatives. No, but, it's, but very,
1: it's, general. it's yeah, very general. It's very general. But it, the thing about it is that it goes back a lot further than just my grandparents and great-grandparents. We're talking, you know, thousands of years, and in some cases, you know, maybe tens of thousands of years. Um what I, what I found out when I was researching how the heck I could be Irish when or have so much Irish when I thought I was half German is that um, the Irish tribes that originally settled, um, well, all of the tribes that settled in England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, a lot of people think that they originated from Central Europe. So that could be... Um, one link to why there's so much irish in me as opposed to actual german we may have all came from the the same place originally but um everybody spread out and traveled into different places and um you know it wasn't a straight shot to germany right
0: right yeah i imagine very few of our (laughs) our travels you know travels of our ancestors it was a straight shot I wonder about the effects that, you know, knowing this heritage has on you. For example, now knowing you have some Irish heritage, that, does that make you want to connect with Irish culture? What What is the effect?
1: Absolutely it does. I want. In fact, my husband and I went to Ireland last year, and we're planning to go again later on this year. It was, you know... I thought, or I knew before that I maybe had, you know, a few Irish ancestry ancestors, but now that I know that my ancestry is, you know, comes a lot from that area, I feel like when I go back I want to, like, breathe the air my ancestors breathed and walk the roads, and I, I love to visit churches and cemeteries, and um, the historical part of it is very, very... um interesting for me
0: what what is that impulse do you think i didn't you know i recognize it in myself and a lot of people i've talked to uh, is it wanting to honor ancestors wanting to connect with the ancestors what what is the impulse
1: well i always want to honor them but um i think it's it's an urge to connect with them i think because america or the united states um as a country is so young And, you know, there's only a couple hundred years here, and then most of us, at least, go back to Europe or or some other continent. And, you know, the people in the British Isles and in Ireland, um, you know, there are, you know, centuries, tens of centuries, where people lived. And it's, you know, to think I could have been there, except for, you know, one person who decided to, get on a boat, and head to America. You know, I might be living in a small Irish town. That's just fascinating to me, mm-hmm. um, the randomness of it all. And, you know, the luck in some cases that, you know, for example, my relatives came from Russia to the United States and didn't stay there. Um, if I had stayed, it would be, you know, a, a real different story right now.
0: And uh, in fact, that's a <clears throat> that's a story you imagine in your novel. We'll get to talk about the plot of the novel once we come back from break. And I want to talk about uh, so the difficulties in, uh, in tracking down, doing, doing family research on uh, Germans in Russia and uh, what, what you did. Also, you used genealogy in, uh, in constructing the book, I understand, to uh, create a pedigree chart for these fictional characters. That's, that's interesting. I
1: did. Yeah. It was getting confusing keeping everybody straight. And I thought, I've got to use <clears throat> create my own pedigree charts
0: what what, so, did, what did you use by the way
1: I used um, the the software f- from um, the Latter-day Saints uh, that they offer through their database oh interesting the, um I have yeah. I've used it for probably close to 30 years now and so it just felt familiar and easy and that's what I chose
0: so you you uh, you went to I guess family search or whatever and and constructed this
1: family search org okay and, um well, I had it already. I mean, I had the software already, and I just opened a, a new chart. I didn't want to mingle it and <laughs> get facts <laughs> mixed with fiction. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I was able to um, keep everybody straight. And then, you know, I tried to make sure that, you know, the ancestry lines, because a lot of that is going to come into play in my next book. And so I needed to follow, for example, um, some of those family lines. I don't want to give away too much and give away part of the story, but I needed to make sure that, you know, dates were correct and they matched up with historical events and with other people who lived during that time, so that if I mentioned them in the book, you know everything. Seemed as if it really could have taken place during that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a genealogical bombshell in the book. Won't we'll give it away. Um, yes. So I'm I'm trying to imagine you setting up this pedigree chart, fictional character. Do you have to label it fictional, lest other people try to connect in and think these are real people? Or
1: I just I did not make it public. I just kept it. Oh, private I, oh, I on see. My, okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah just
1: my sure. i did, yeah. No, no, no. I I wouldn't do that to anyone. <laughs>
0: yeah that could cause some some troubles, but I could see yeah. if if, no, you're, no. if if you're doing generations and you're going back and forth as you do in this book and you have planned sequels mm-hmm. that it would be very useful to set up a pedigree chart
1: absolutely
0: yeah well uh, we'll talk more about this when we come back from break we're uh, talking with Julie Mangano her uh, novel is called Bracha. <laughs> And I'll ask her uh, where that name comes from when we come back from break. It's a story that's based on her ancestry, Germans in Russia. We'll talk more about them. And the modern-day protagonist, Lyndon St. Clair, the heroine of the novel, is trying to uncover the truth behind the death of her beloved grandfather. And we also learn about the uh, life of her great-great-grandmother, Lena, who's an ethnic German born in Russia. More following the break. When you support UPR as a sponsoring business, it makes a statement that this programming is important to you. UPR listeners appreciate our underwriters and often make a point of supporting them. For information on underwriting, please call Terry Guy at 435-797-3215. That's 435-797-3215. Thank you.
3: This week on The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
2: We have less wild places on the planet every single day. If we protect the indigenous rights of indigenous peoples, then we're going to be able to protect more of the wild places on the planet.
3: I'm Neil Harvey. Join us this week for Formless Warriors,
0: 21st Century Wisdom from Old Growth Cultures, on The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Wednesday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio.
3: Congratulations to all graduates of Utah State University, including students of Kane College of the Arts, College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences, College of Engineering, College of Humanities and Social Sciences, College of Science, Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, John M. Huntsman School of Business, and S&J and Jesse E. Quinney College of Natural Resources. UPR congratulates all graduates on their successes and wishes them all the best.
0: Thanks for joining us for Access Utah, Time, Tom Williams. In the 18th century, Catherine the Great enticed German farmers to settle in Russia. The German communities remained distinct from the Russians linguistically and culturally. Julie Mangano's descended from such German settlers in Russia, as is the modern-day protagonist, Lyndon St. Clair, of her new novel, Bracha. The contemporary side of the novel revolves around Lyndon trying to uncover the truth behind the death of her beloved grandfather, Franklin, a wealthy rancher in rural Somerville, California. The second story comes from the memoirs of Lyndon's great-great-grandmother, Lena, an ethnic German born in Russia who fled in the last days of the czars. And we're talking about the book. We're talking about genealogy connecting to our heritage, the effects of our ancestors' decisions on our lives uh, today. Uh, Julie Mangano lives in Texas. The book is out, getting favorable reviews so I wonder if we could jump in a little bit to the plot here. Uh, tell me about uh, this your fictional town, which is based on your research, uh, Grimm, you call it.
1: Well, Grimm was actually a real town. Ah. It is the real town that my grandparents came from. Um, it was not named after any fairy tales brothers, um, but the mayor, the first mayor of the town's name was Grimm, last name, so... Um, that's how it got its name. It is no longer um, called Grim. It's called Lesnoy Karamish, or something that sounds like that. Uh-huh.
0: And it's on. It's near. This is the Volga region.
1: It is near the Volga. Near River. The Volga? Yes. Okay. They, mm-hmm. My grandfather always referred to it as being on the Volga, but on the Volga can mean like ten miles away. You know, mm-hmm. right. it's still a little far, but close enough to be called in the Volga region.
0: So tell me about Lena. Lena is, so the, the heroine, uh, Linden is trying to find out about her, her uh, great-great
1: grandmother. Right. Lena would have been a, a contemporary of my grandmother's parents. Um, that's how I like to look at her, at least. And she was a young um, German girl growing up in a village called Grimm. The irony of which does not escape me. Um, I've got mm-hmm. photographs of Grim, and it was a very desolate and horrible place to live. Mm-hmm. They um, slept in mud houses, often only one or two rooms. Um, generations of families lived with each other. Um, the soil was still not very fertile, even after you know a century of trying to make it so. Um, It was a difficult life, but it was all Lena ever knew, and she never um, expected that her life would be any different.
0: Hmm. I understand that, of course, we know historically the Russia had a definite caste system, and and these Germans were were not very high in that caste system.
1: That is correct. They were close to the bottom. I think that the gypsies were worse than them, or lower than them on the caste system, but you know, it was a toss-up um they were not they were thought of as very vulgar and, and base by the the more elitist people in Russian society. So um you know that was another thing that kept people from intermixing from a Russian point of view, you know. No one wanted to have that low class German blood in their family line. Mm.
0: If you could if you could trust that with America Uh, the germans who went to america of course you would start out probably near the bottom but you would you would rise up you know there'd be
2: mobility yes
1: yes i think what happened when they came to america is that they wanted they didn't want to be german anymore they were americans i mean you know obviously they were german but they learned english very quickly they didn't talk about the old country either russia or germany initially um they tried to mix in as quickly as they could and to rise up from that
0: hmm.
1: um, in terms of their social class.
0: What do you think the difference? Because obviously
1: they started out very poor.
0: Yeah. What do you think the difference is? Uh, I wonder that. It kind of gets us to contemporary issues where we worry about the melting pot, not melting anymore. But uh, uh, the, the, originally the Germans in Russia wanted to be very distinctly German. I guess by the time they, they got did, to America yes. they wanted to they wanted to blend in. What do you think that
1: I think that a lot of that first generation of Germans who came to America a lot of them still wanted to be amongst Germans, you know, they were their people and their friends even though they still wanted to be America, their Americans. The town where my uh, great-grandparents eventually settled was Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, which was I don't have exact numbers, but it would not surprise me to know that there were, you know, 80% Germans there, either from the country or Germans from Russia who ended up there. There was a very high concentration of their their fellow Germans. So they were able to, to still feel like they were in their society, as always. But as they had children and their children grew up, they started, you know... Filtering in with other Americans who weren't necessarily of German heritage. Mm. As happened with my mother. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: yeah, it's interesting that they could have, you know, sort of remained strictly in their community there, but they,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know, it's something about American culture you want to, and, and I guess the possibility of upward mobility that you perhaps didn't have in I, Russia. I think
1: so. Yeah. I, I think it was also, I don't know, it was a different time. Um, and perhaps they recognized that um, they couldn't stay as a distinct group forever. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me about the title of the of the book. What Braha? Where, where does that come from?
1: Braha. Um, that is actually a made up name. I um, I had used some real names of towns in Finland, but I worried that because I had never been to those towns, that I would misrepresent them and what they looked like. Um, so I came up with a name that took a couple syllables from a couple of nearby towns in Finland and put them together. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I was trying to come up with my Kodak word, <laughs> something that was easy to say, mm-hmm. no one could mispronounce it, and they would remember it. So that's how I came up with Braha.
0: And uh, why does Lena end up in Finland? I think this has to do with some of your background.
1: Right? Well, she... Um, She finds herself on the run. She finds herself being searched for by Russian authorities, and she is escorted out of the country and into hiding by a couple of people who have been entrusted uh, with the duty to care for her and to keep her alive. And they go into hiding uh, first to a town... um, where she, she has a child. And then they end up in Baraha, which is uh, pretty far north, I would say, almost to the land of, of reindeers, you know, Lapland, that kind of thing. Um, it's basically a place where she can escape and become invisible. And she is um, not kept captive, but she is hiding out on a small island on a lake um, in the fictional town of Braja, hmm. or near the fictional town of Braja.
0: Let's move this forward. To, uh, tell me about Lyndon St. Clair, the heroine of your book.
1: The heroine of my book, um, It's that's a very interesting story, because there are so many directions I want to go with, with the follow-up books. But for example, you know, her name, St. It's She's a St. Clair for a reason, and so keep that in mind. But she is descended from Lena, from Lena's child, whose name is Sasha. Um, Sasha escapes to America and settles in the San Diego region of California, where she and several generations of her family members are able to live in relative anonymity um, until... Lyndon's grandfather uh, is found dead, and they suspect murder, and Lyndon is um, knowing nothing really about her history. She's all all of a sudden thrown into this mystery about what happened to her grandfather, and in order to discover what happened to him, she has to learn about her family's past. Hmm
0: and there it, that resonates with me because the you know that that plot that you could you know not the specifics of the plot mm-hmm. but wanting to know about your your heritage and how that affects you that that could, that applies to all of us
1: yes it does absolutely and i i think that in london's case nobody dwelled on it nobody dwelled on um passing down what that heritage was because they were in danger for so long i think that they saw keeping their descendants sort of clueless about it in a way um offered them some kind of safety Hmm.
0: so then how did you go about researching
1: you
3: know
0: your specific family germans in russia all of that there there's some difficulties there How, how did you go about it
1: well it is difficult um before um, the Soviet Union dissolved, it was very, very difficult. I mean, dissolved as the, the Soviet Union, um, it was very difficult to get any information out of Russia about the Germans from Russia. The Germans themselves did not keep very good records, and the Soviets would not release any information. But since the fall of the Berlin Wall and you know the, the changes that took over Russia. They are um much more open to providing that information if you give them money so <laughs> um, there are a number of of groups and people who have paid um i guess they would be the equivalent of Russian genealogists or you know some kind of people like that to go and look up information about their family members in russia um There is one group in particular. It's called the American Historical Society of Germans from Russia, and they have been invaluable to me in um, helping learn about my ancestors and where they came from and what what they experienced in Russia. They also have um, many, many um, members who have gone ahead and paid to have their ancestry researched over there. Now, that, that sounds like you get it researched, you know, for generations and generations, and that's not true. You just get it researched, you know, for, you know, maybe one person. So it costs a lot of money, and I think the information is still slow in um, filtering down, but slowly but surely, we have more information about our family members who were in Russia. So um, the American Historical Society of Germans from Russia um, has a great library of information. You can buy maps and photographs, and I have almost everything you can imagine about the village of Grimm and about the Germans from Russia in general.
0: Hmm. I imagine you probably connected so. with other people who are researching their
1: Yes, their families absolutely. back in this area, That's,
0: probably a community.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Each, um, each town, each German village in Russia has a town coordinator within that group, and they sort of act as the handlers of information about that town and the people in that town. And I was very lucky to connect with a great coordinator for the town of Grimm who has been invaluable to me in terms of helping me find information about my family.
0: Hmm. So there's there's that much interest that they they have a coordinator in the town.
1: Absolutely. Of, yeah. of every town and there are, you know, I don't know, maybe 70 towns um maybe more. So there there are a lot of people who are who are trying to track this information down. By the way, but it I... just seemed to me that, it seemed to me that despite the fact that I'm interested and there are, you know, a number of people interested in the history of Germans from Russia. Nobody ever wrote about it. You know, it's not really in the history books. You have to look it up specifically, and the information is very slim. So that is in part what, you know, made me want to write about my family's history and to create a story about it because there's just nothing out there. Hmm. I thought it was interesting.
0: By the way, I pulled up the website. It's ahsgr.org. Notice that yeah. uh, they'll be having a convention in Billings, Montana, coming up in July. So uh, yeah. check out the website. Very interesting. Um, the The novel goes back and forth, uh, and I'm sure this is purposeful. You're you're meditating, in a sense, on uh-huh. Lena's effects in the lives life of Lyndon, and Lyndon wanting to connect back to to Lena. Right. And I wonder in in, in your life uh, and flowing it down, you know, the other way. Uh, thinking about your children grandchildren i don't know if that's caused some thoughts um, thoughts there about your the effects of your you know decisions your life on on them
1: that's a very scary thought sometimes <laughs> yeah. not that i sure it is, made sure bad it is. Decisions. for
0: all of us yes uh-huh.
1: i know but I, I don't think there's anything quite as devastating as what lyndon discovered so that's a good thing but but I remember my, my grandfather always told me to be very careful when researching my family history, because you don't know what skeletons are going to uncover. <laughs> and and I've, I've found a few sort of nefarious things that... Um, let's just say I'm very grateful for recessive genes. <laughs> so... Um, I, I think that we have blended enough to where I'm, I'm not going to turn out to be a criminal or, mm. or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially in the, yeah, that's a good point because in in this day of epigenetics, you know, we're we're discovering that perhaps yeah. some some of these predilections uh, or choices can can be passed down through the genes. So
1: absolutely. So, um, praying my my kids' gene pool is equally mixed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, Let's take another break. When we come back, our last segment with uh, our guest, Julie Mangano. Interesting uh, new novel. uh, The subtitle is A Tale of Innocence and Intrigue. The title is Bracha, and uh, we're talking about uh, Julie Mangano's heritage uh, among the German settlers in Russia. They eventually settled in America, and uh, we've been talking about genealogy and DNA testing and a bunch of other things. We'll uh, continue uh, discussing uh, the book. And related topics following the break. Every week, there's new
2: science, new technologies, and new discoveries that affect our health, our world, and our environment. And every week, Living on Earth is there to report, analyze, and comment to make sure you know
0: what's happening and how it may affect you. So don't miss out. Tune in right here to hear what we have to offer. I'm Steve Kerwood. That's this week and every week on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday mornings at 10 on Utah Public Radio. The piano puzzler this week has a twist. Every week, composer Bruce Adolph rewrites a familiar tune in the style of a great composer. We get one of our listeners on the phone who tries to name the composer and the hidden tune. This week, two callers on the line, a lovely couple from New York City, on the next performance today from APM. Wednesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to AXIS Utime Tom Williams. We're talking about Germans in Russia, genealogy, connecting to our heritage, the effects of our ancestors' decisions on our lives today. We're talking with Julie Mangano. Her uh, new novel is *Bracha*, A Tale of Innocence and Intrigue. She uses some of her family history uh, in this. And uh, this interesting uh, fact, the history of Germans in Russia as a setting. And uh, the modern-day protagonist of her novel, Lyndon St. Clair, is uh, trying to uncover the truth behind the death of her beloved grandfather Franklin, and uh, the second story comes from the memoirs of Lyndon's great-great-grandmother Lena, who's an ethnic German born in Russia. Uh, Julia Mangano, I, I don't know if you have a, a passage from the book you'd like to read.
1: Um, golly, I think. Kind
0: of spring that on you, but it would be nice to get a little flavor.
1: You, you did spring that on <laughs> me. Um.
0: <laughs> and while you're while you're maybe thinking about that. Uh, I'd like to ask you about. Uh, I read this on your uh, blog post, by the way, uh, juliamorgano.com. You're you're dealing with something I think a lot of us have to do, and very interesting gets us into what we do with physical artifacts from from our you know ancestors. In this case, you're going through your father's effects, and you're you're trying to decide what to what to do there. What if you talk a little bit yes. about that?
1: My father was a photographer um, in Southern California and he was there for 35 years, had won a lot of awards and took a lot of photographs and I think he kept every one of them. (laughs) And we have negatives, slides, photos, we have so much stuff. And it's, you know, really overwhelming sometimes. He also um, inherited a lot of scrapbooks and photos and things from his parents and grandparents. And it's absolutely fascinating to find some of this older stuff. I also had a call out of the blue from a family member that I had. I didn't even know who she was, but my dad had um, lost track of her years ago, who had an old family Bible um, that she wanted me to become the caretaker of. And I was just overwhelmed that she went to the, the degree that she did to track me down and then send it to me. So that was very exciting, hmm. actually. so
0: I wonder, uh, you t- uh, I wonder if you found a, a passage. I wonder if you'd tell me about the recipes. This is intriguing to me. You the have, recipes. You have recipes the in the recipes back of the book. They were
1: actually my Nana's recipes. Um, and they were just so fun, and they were a little unusual, um, the gravel recipe, which is kind of like a a free form donut, if you will, and um, her chocolate cake recipe with the sour cream. Um, I just I just felt compelled to share them because they were you know true recipes from the old country, and then the guacamole rep- recipe was just because the scene to, or the the book took place, you know. on an avocado grove farm Mm -hmm. and um i just thought it would be fun to throw one of those in i'll
0: have to check this out i love avocado love guacamole so i'll have to check that out
1: oh my grandmother would have loved you then
0: (laughs) and uh, and then you have chocolate cake so i would have to check that one out as well
1: yes Lena's chocolate cake and it is delicious um (laughs) I cannot tell you about the fat content or
2: <laughs> if it's
1: healthy, but, you know, my grandparents lived to be a healthy age, so it didn't kill them.
0: Exactly. That's what we'll keep in mind.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you've um, thought of a passage you'd like to read. Of.
1: Yeah. I thought that I would um, I would just start with the um, Lena section just to give people a taste of what it was like um, back in, uh, in Grimm. Um my mother, Anna Weiss, stood in the kitchen at a flowered board, rolling out a mixture of flour, sugar, salt, soda, buttermilk, eggs, and sour cream, an ancient and well-loved pastry for Grebel. Her apron didn't protect the rest of her from flour particles that hung in the air before drifting lazily down and dotting her clothing. Absent-mindedly, Moody brushed a tendril of hair off her face with the back of her hand, And now her temple and dark hair bore the signs of flour dust, too. I laughed, pointing out her newly smudged face and hair. Muti smiled, intent on blending the ingredients until the mixture was almost smooth, a feat I had still not mastered. She rolled the dough flat and cut it into rectangles, adding two slits to the center of each rectangle. And that is essentially the recipe for Greville right there.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Gives you a nice flavor. Um, mm-hmm. we're coming here the end of the program I, I, before we close I just have to ask you about this uh, intriguing sentence from your biography on your website mm-hmm. you say my husband took a risk on a girl he met at the Oakland Airport bus stop Been married <laughs> for 20 years now you're yes, now empty nesters is. tell me about this
1: oh that is a funny story I was on my way home um, on New Year's Day from Christmas in Arizona and I had a horrible flight and the girl in back of me threw up on me, and I had it on the back of my coat, and, oh, it was just terrible. And by the time we got out of the plane, I had missed my shuttle bus, and I just started to cry, and I was just a wreck. And there was this man sitting down at the next um, shuttle bus bench looking at me like, you know, I was a crazy woman. And it ended up, we, we got on the same shuttle bus. And... <laughs> By the time we got on the bus, I had stopped crying, and he helped me carry my, my bags on board. And we ended up talking and talking and talking. And, uh, well, you know, 10 months later, we're <laughs> married, and it's 21 years now. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a bad decision.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great story. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's always nice to have a good meat, meat story, you know. Because they say the yes, maybe it's yes. meat cute. Uh, so <laughs> you're going to do at least one sequel, more sequels to Braha?
1: Um, at least one, probably three or four.
0: So you continue the story of uh, Lyndon yes. and, and Lena as well?
1: There will be a little more about Lena, yes, and how she got to the United States as well as Lyndon and what happens to her next. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you say one in the back of the book you say that uh, one of the, one of the uh, goals in writing the book was to get people interested in uh, researching their, their family history and their heritage?
1: What- I That was a goal, because I I am not around a lot of people who like to do that. I know them online, but I don't know them in person. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. the only one in my family who is interested in it, and I just thought if people realized how interesting their own family history could be, you know, maybe they would be doing more research and finding out these great stories that they can share with their families.
0: I like the, the I do you call it the inscription. Uh, you have a quote from Roald Dahl
1: mm-hmm. at
0: the beginning of the book.
1: Yes. The, the quote is, hold on a minute, and above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world around you because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Oh, good good place to end. Very we're, true. We're out of time, so that's a good place to end. The, the novel is Braha, a Tale of Innocence and Intrigue. The author is Julie Mangano. You can find out more on our website, juliemangano.com. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, join us tomorrow for Access Utah. Thanks for listening today.
2: Commentator Thadbach. The house I live in turned 100 years old last summer. I have a clear title registered in the courthouse, but I can never own the Julia Budge Nibley House. A mere human cannot own history. In Utah's developing years, some of the people living near the Julia House established Utah as a contributing member of the United States. President Franklin Roosevelt asked Mariner Eccles, who lived across the street, to help implement the New Deal. As chairman of the Federal Reserve, he developed monetary policy that became the basis for what is used today. Mr. Eccles and Roosevelt's New Deal allowed Daddy to help build a dam and make 40 cents an hour for his wages. We moved to a better house, bought a radio and a Chevy. Mother sent me to school in my first store-bought clothes. I became the first in my family to graduate from high school. Before I entered in the Army, I had never been to a doctor or a dentist or on a train. No one except mother or daddy had ever cut my hair. I had never heard of Eccles, but his and Mr. Roosevelt's policies changed my life, and they changed our country. Now the Julia House is a century-old treasure. Wealth inequality in the United States is greater than at any time since she was built. The difference in family income between the richest 1% of Americans and the poorest half is more akin to those of corrupt, undeveloped countries than that of a stable, well-managed nation. The middle class, even with both parents working, is shrinking. Some CEOs get paid millions of dollars annually and resist raising the minimum wages for the poor people who work for them. If we continue on this path, the Julia House will probably be divided into slum apartments or raised to create a parking for a bank. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. This is Thad Box.
0: Have you ever bought something that changed your life, a simple exchange of cash for goods that really stayed with you? He said nothing, but I knew he felt the significance of the etching on the necklace. I'm Kai Rizdal. The next installment of our series, The Transaction, next time on Marketplace. We'll have the day's numbers from Wall Street as well. It's all from APM. Wednesday night at 7 on Utah Public Radio.
3: Congratulations to UPR interns Allie Snow and Katie Swain on graduating from Utah State University. Both Snow and Swain have been great assets to the UPR team. UPR congratulates interns Allie Snow and Katie Swain on graduating from USU and wishes them the best of luck in all their endeavors.
2: Hello, I'm Rosakins. Welcome to World Have Your Say. Coming up on Outlook, after the news, the
0: Somali journalist who witnessed the murder of his boss. Hello, I'm Steve Evans. Welcome to Business
2: Daily. Coming up, the big fight. This is Owen Bennett-Jones with NewsHour.
0: The BBC is your gateway to the world, and this is your BBC station. Monday through Saturday afternoons at 3 on Utah Public Radio. And thank you for listening to Access Utah on Utah Public Radio, a service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. Stay tuned for Living on Earth coming up next, followed by performance today at 11 o'clock, time now 10 o'clock.